This is Jay LaRock from Marlins Park, and this is the Obsolete Gamer Show. From the OGS studios in Miami, Florida, it's the Obsolete Gamer Show. I was talking to my now husband at the time when I was 12. He was my first boyfriend. Uh, And we were on AIM, which like old school, right? AIM. One night I was talking to him on the phone and I heard shooting in the background, like legit gun shooting. And I was freaking out. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's just Counter-Strike. And I was like, Counter-Strike, what is that? Um, So once he told me, I decided, well, I don't want less time with my boyfriend. So my mom took me to the mall, bought me the game because it was rated mature and I was 12. Um, And then I came home and started playing Counter-Strike. My husband taught me how to play, kind of helped me set up controls. Um, And I mean, I had a ball mouse. I mean, I had a terrible computer, but it was so much fun and that's what started my PC gaming journey. And now, here are your hosts, J.A. LaRock and Ignacio. Alright, um, I, 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 I'm seriously uh, trying to, like, uh, eat better, try to be healthier. I'm healthy, I'm eating pizza. Yeah, Ignacio's eating pizza, and I'm here, I, I have this, I have this thing full of candy. Because kids won't come to the door. I don't know why. And, <laughs> okay. Aren't you going to move right next to a school, you pedal? <laughs> <laughs> and I hear look like a fat fuck. <laughs> Hello? Maybe I maybe I do know why. Maybe I know why. <laughs> I think that I think that was Crankle, Crankle. I think that was the NSA that did that. <laughs> okay, so why I, I got I got this damn thing. You down there. <laughs> that's that's the bad one now. Look There's at a that. mugshot of you. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, look. I'm gonna eject him. Eject. There you go. Oh, look at that. Oh, wow. I kicked him out. Look at that. All right. I'm going to start again. All right. I'll try try to eat healthy. And we have Ignacio here eating pizza. Yeah. And I look like Jabba the Hutt. And I I got this staring at me. Still full of candy because kids didn't come by. I didn't want them to come by, but I want to get rid of this candy. And I should have just put it out front. And let them just ransack it. Like squirrels and shit? Yeah. Because it's here now. And it's haunting me. And it, and it really hurts to have this here. Because I really, I really, really don't want to eat it. But it has some... Look, it ad- gets... Admit it. You bought the candy. Oh, look. It's Halloween. Let me <laughs> buy more candy. And then you go then out. Go, like the lights are off. The shades are fucking drawn. Oh. No. I guess they don't want any. <laughs> I guess somebody's gonna have to eat it. It's like back in the day when you would go go and and you would buy like you know three hamburgers, two fries, and the and the diet coke because you were fronting. <laughs> and then you would go into the parking lot way in the back and try and hide, and you'd be there with the bag. And you'd be like, "This is a personal story. This is <laughs> this isn't like made up. This is like." That's the dark shit that I would tell at my <laughs> AA meeting. My precious. My precious. And now I got this. I got this thing laughing at me. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is what the Obsolete Gamer Show has become in between the, the interviews because the interviews now, you know, we're trying to be like all nice for our guests, but this is what we do to be crazy in between that. <laughs> yeah, we're only professional in interviews. We don't give a shit the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm Jay LaRock and obviously Ignacio there enjoying his pizza. I hope you I hope you choke on that pizza. And so then... But then oh, I, I hope you survive because only choke a little because you need to continue paying for things. So I oh. just a little choke, a little choke. Um, so a lot of things have been happening in gaming, and I'm not going to talk about them because that's what other other uh, shows are for. <laughs> wow. So uh, this is what I'm going to talk about because uh, we were contacted by Chipotle. Speaking of uh, food that's bad for you, Dude. and um. Dude, you're supposed to be promoting them. I am promoting them. Okay, I, I am promoting them. They contacted us and they said, hey, we want you to talk about this game called uh, Chipotle uh, Taste Invaders. And we are going to talk about them. Right. And because I played the game. And guess what? It's a ripoff of Space Invaders. Taste Invaders, Space Invaders. So look, we're talking about the game. Contract uh, is uh, achieved, and um, it's a ripoff of it, Space Invaders. Next, yes. Yeah, so instead of the spaceship, it's a burrito, and it kind of looks like a blunt yeah. on its side. Yeah. And, and um, you know the the little bases are chipotles, which is uh, it's kind of funny because they blow up, which is kind of like akin to all the chipotles that are closing down because of the coli scare. Dude, that is some and, political shit right there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like subliminal there. Um, and you're <laughs> shooting down all the preservatives and bad things that are in other foods. And like, you know the spaceship that flies uh, overhead in uh, yeah. Space Invaders? Well, instead, you're f shooting like subs, pizzas, and hamburgers. Oh my god. You should be like shooting down E. coli. Son but, of a bitch. You know... <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're shooting down uh, oranges, apples, you know, like healthy shit. Yeah, well, no, no, no. So now, now, see, I, I was ignorant because when I first received this, I was just like, oh, okay. Because and here's the, here's a the funny thing. They were like, hey, so review this and I'll send you, you know, they'll send us these coupons for burritos. And I was like, I was like, I like, I like Chipotle. I was like, that's good. You know, I don't, I, like I don't Chipotle and I like trollings <laughs> right I, I was like i don't need any chipotle away i'm cool with it so i was oh, like God. sure and i and i you know i don't mind knockoffs so i was like sure it is it's a space invaders knockoff but that's cool you know i understand it so look first just just check out this gameplay real quick Go, 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 go
All right, all right, so you see, clearly a knockoff, right? And I was actually pretty good at it, right? I mean, usually I suck, but I was actually good at shooting down the E. coli. And, yeah. and so so I, I got it, and then I was, like, telling Ignacio about it, and I went out, and I was hanging with some friends, and I was telling them about this game, and they're like, hey, so they're probably doing that for positive spin. And I'm like, positive spin about what? And they're like, E. coli. I was like, what? So I got some information here, and I was like, oh, in the last three months, Chipotle has caused three major outbreaks of uh, food bone illnesses, first spreading salmonella to 100 California residents in August, and then to additional 64 customers in Minnesota this September. And just this week, an E. coli outbreak was traced back to the chain, sickening 36, uh, 37 people in Washington and Oregon. As a result, the company is being sued for $75,000 with claims of negligence regarding the E. coli case. So I was like, uh, and this is like news. And I was like, uh-oh. So I'm like, wait, I'm going to get this. I mean, like, I'm here in, we're here in Florida. I, I, I like Chipotle. I never knew that they were having this stuff. Is that because there's no preservatives in it that you can have these outbreaks? I, I like Chipotle. I really, really like Chipotle. And and now I find out that th this is why we have to shoot down things in a copy you, of Space Invaders. You mean this? And you mean this? <laughs> Wait, did Burger King contact you? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Somebody's oh, gonna pay these bills, bro. Oh man, that that ain't right, man. Oh, I ambushed you right there. See, game <laughs> over. Man. See, all right, look. Hold on. Right. It's gonna be facing the. There we go. Wait a minute. You have pizza and Burger King. It's complicated. Dude, we're we're going we're going to the Tiger Direct thing tonight. Well, you you're gonna have to do laps around Marlins Park, like laps, bro. Bro, for me, a lap is standing up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. okay, so uh, look, <laughs> Chipotle, you're probably pissed. Look, you're probably not watching this. If you watch this, you're probably pissed. Don't what? send me. Don't what? don't send us stuff thinking that. Oh, these are like dumb gamers. Look, we're gonna look stuff. Up. I'm gonna look up stuff. Don't don't do that. Okay, because it's your propaganda game. machine. Yeah, because uh, sometimes it backfires, and you know if if you if you didn't send those. I'm still going to use those coupons. I'm, I'm going to wait till this thing blows over. Hopefully it blows over. Good. But I'm going to hold on to those coupons. You I bet they have expiration dates. shut down your local... <laughs> yeah, right. Watch it has like an expiration date of like a week or something. If you do that, the next show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shit on you even more. So don't do that. You saw what we did to Sony with Jimmy the DC Kimmel. Online stuff. Oh, and Jimmy Kimmel. Why don't we do the Jimmy Kimmel with a motherfucking potato? They gave him a potato. He don't make me go into a rant. I'ma calm down. I'ma calm down. Oh my god, I know what to get you for for Christmas. Yeah. Alright, look, we're good we're good chill. We're good chill. We got something else here because we were talking about healthy stuff and um so we have some great people. Look, we have Snack Nation, all right? Snack Nation. This is a company that's cool, all right, because we were talking about how, you know, we are trying to be healthy. At least I'm trying to be healthy. Two big guys. I don't know. I'm healthy. Here, uh, yeah, pizza and Burger King, right? All if right, I'm look. breathing, I'm healthy. So, so Snack Nation, here, we're going to give a plug. Snack Nation, there you go. You can see it. Okay, but tell them what it's about. 
And all right, so these guys offer healthy snacks to like businesses. So if you guys out there have like small business, medium businesses, large businesses, and you guys usually have like potato chips, unhealthy snacks and stuff like that, these guys offer like healthy alternatives so that you guys can not be like bloated Us. and big. Oh, yes, there you go. <laughs> I tried to like work around it, but granted, with your us. pizzas, fine. Us, us, <laughs> all right. Us, join us. All right, so, so they're like, okay, you know, we'll send you over some snacks. So I haven't even opened this yet. It's been sitting here in the office, and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna wait to open this up. So let, let's see what we got in here. All right, so, I mean, oh, this is cool. Like, you know, they got like a a Buddha bowl here, a popcorn. And this is cool, like 100 calories, only 4 grams of fat, 3 grams of salt, 5 grams of fiber. I mean, that's cool. You know, you got like popcorn, uh, you got barbecue crisps, uh, sea salt and vinegar chips. Oh, nice. Ooh, man. I want that one. Ooh, wasabi ranch. We got we got some snap peas here. I like that. A lot of chips here. Wow, I don't even quinoa chips? Never heard of that. Look at that. That's some good stuff. I mean oh look, an <laughs> sweet chipotle. <laughs> the kind that the kind that won't give you diseases. I mean like this is all types of like God, I mean, don't sue us, you motherfucker. I mean all these are like I mean, it's cool, like crispy cheddar crackers. It's not like your regular yeah crackers that just like kill you. I mean, toasted coconut chips, 115 calories. I mean, that's cool. Hey, look. I mean, like, look. These are like non-GMO corn cheese puffs. I mean, 150 cool. calories. But the thing is, is like these are supposed to be like natural and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. also they have like coconut oatmeal bites. Oh man! And um, you know, pistachios, 100 calories for that. Um, it's Cliff a good bars. idea. Good I idea. Mean, it's cool. So, you know, in the end, nice big box of stuff that they sent over. And I mean, look, yeah, it's a plug, but it's cool. They tell you like, obviously, it's also a selling thing. So it's not like we're gonna tell you it's free or nothing like that. They're gonna try and 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 tell you like, oh, you want to uh, purchase a certain amount for your company. But obviously, everyone's trying to get a little bit healthier. So at least it's good to know that if you are out there and you're trying to eat healthier. When we talked to Fatality, remember he was talking about out there and eat all this uh, oh, Cheetos no. and, and, oh, and no. soda. Like, it's it's not the you know thing that you see all the time on gamers just eating that stuff. He would eat this healthy stuff before a game because he yeah. didn't want to be all sluggish and stuff. So you don't always have to sit around while you're playing games just stuffing your face with uh, candy. You know, especially if you want to be on your game. So that was kind of cool of Snack Nation to send us over that stuff. So, you know, you got the one side and you got the other side. So, you know what, Ignacio, yeah. you you enjoy that pizza. I'm going to have me some of this food over here. How about that? Well, okay. Now, the thing is, okay, <laughs> don't fucking eat all that shit at once because that's meant for a No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, obviously. That, that, okay. If you have a business, get that stuff. Because then on top of that, if you have some fat bastards like us, that's just like, oh, look, a whole box of, let me just eat the whole box. 
you know, you won't do that when you're at work. You're going to be like, you know what? I'll take the little pistachio thing and, you know, you won't be like, all right, I'm going <laughs> to take the pistachio one hand and I'm going to take the cookies in the other hand and, well, yeah, you can use your imagination. Not, this is not a lunchbox. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's supposed to be for a company for to have in like their their lunch room for like maybe for like half a week for it to be consumed by multiple employees. You know, unless you're like us, that's like, hey, look, somebody left a bunch of shit here. <laughs> we take it back to our kiosk. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, I remember when I was out in L.A., they actually uh, – there's a trail where outside the trail, they actually had, like, a box with, like, bananas. Um, they had, like, trail mix, like, wrapped and stuff yeah. like that and, like, power bars. And it said, oh, take one and leave a donation based on what you think, you know, is fair. And I was thinking to myself, are you, are you kidding me? Like, who, who's going to do that? And there was stuff there, and people actually put money in the jar. And didn't steal it. I'm like, yeah. What planet am I on? It's... If that was in Miami, no, everything would have been gone. The box would have been, been bite bar, marks everything. in the wood. <laughs> I mean, there would have been not even payment left. Jeez. All right. So, do you know what a game book is, Ignacio? Sort of. I, I had to look it up. So a, a game book is like a, a work of fiction, electronic thing where, you know, you have like a story. Like it's kind of like a, a playable choose your own adventure book. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. And, and you it, it's usually you take like a, someone's work of like it's based on like a novel or sometimes people like write their own uh, story and like you play yeah. characters and, and you, you play it out. So it's like a video game mixed with a story and you put together, it's almost like also playing like a board game all mixed in into one. And it's really cool. And we got to interview uh, Richard Morgan, who wrote the series, uh, a land fit for heroes. And it's part of a three, three part uh, trilogy. And it's really cool because, you know, like I, I'm into writing. I've write, written stuff before. Nothing that's been like published like that. But just to be able to talk about um, just the aspect of writing, like where do you get that, you know, that spark to be able to put something out? And his game book came out uh, just this week, and you can get it like on Amazon. You can get iTunes. You can, uh, you know, get on Google Play, and soon you'll be able to get on Steam. So you can get uh, Land uh, Fit for Heroes, and basically what happens is it's a unique cooperative uh, multiplayer game book, and you can play as three distinct characters. And, like, this is, like, dark and gloomy stuff. Like, it isn't like your normal Shining Knight character. Yeah. Like, you know, these people, like, all the choices that you make, it's like one choice is bad, the other choice is just a little less bad. It's like, do I stab this guy in the neck? Or do I stab this guy in the heart? I mean, it's those type of choices. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's really cool. I didn't get to read the series yet, but these are the type of things where you play the game and next thing you know, you're like, wow. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, like, almost um, when when you see something like a Telltale series. Like, yeah. there's some people who didn't play um, uh, even, like um, – like with Walking Dead. Like I know some people that played Walking Dead and then they went to watch the series. Or people who uh, read Harry Potter, they, they were like, oh, man, I never read books before. They read Harry Potter and now they read uh, all types of books. That's the same thing with like yeah. a game book. You know, these are one of those things where you start to play and the next thing you say, man, now 
I've played this, which is it's all a distinct uh, story based on the world. So, you know, being able to talk to him and find out, you know, how he was able to, well, his team was able to transfer this over was really a good experience. So check out this interview with Richard Morgan, and we'll be back in just a minute. A Land Fit for Heroes, the game book, uh, it's out already. You can get it on Google Play. Uh, you can also find it on uh, I iTunes for the iPad, iTouch. Also, it's going to be coming uh, later on uh, for Christmas to uh, Steam, Windows PC, Kindle Fire, things like that. And we're joined uh, today by Richard Morgan. Uh, thanks for coming on and talking with us. My pleasure. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of questions I have, and I know that I want to keep it compact. Um, so I just want to start off, um, if I may, with the beginning. Uh, being that you've written for, you know, video games, your incredible novels, uh, as well as comics, you know, there must have been like that spark, you know, in the beginning. Uh, that starting off point that I guess a lot of people have when they know, hey, there's just something that I really want to do. What was that moment, I guess, when you were young that, that said, hey, I really want to be a writer. I really want to do this for a living. I, to be honest with you, there may well have been, but I, I, if there was, it was it's too far back for me to remember. I mean, I, I, the best the way I always answer this question is to say that uh, J.K. Rowling answered it best, actually, in, in an interview I saw with her, where she said, all my life I wanted to be a writer. As, as, as soon as I understood as a child, as, I, as soon as I knew that there were such people as writers, people who, who made their living from telling stories, writing stories. That's what I wanted to do. And I, that pretty much covers it for me. I mean, that's, you know, I can't remember a time before I knew that. And I, I, I do have a clear memory, age about 11, in a classroom of saying to one, some of my, my classroom friends, saying, you know, when I'm growing up, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write stories and, uh, and get paid for it, you know. And, and they all said, I had no chance. Uh, <laughs> But but that was, I mean, that I think, you know, to that extent, there was no real initial spark with the idea of being a writer. I think one spark I do very clearly remember is back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, reading the short stories that William Gibson was was getting published in Omni magazine, yeah. uh, particularly Johnny Nononic uh, and uh, Burning Chrome. There were a couple of others as well, but those two really stuck in my mind. And I remember that was, I read these short stories and that was, there was a kind of explosion in the back of my head. I went, that's what I want to be writing. Because I've been a sci-fi fan for a long time. I've been reading all sorts of science fiction all my life. And I guess I'd always assumed I would write science fiction. But then later on in my teens, I started reading crime fiction as well. And I really got into the whole noir dynamic. And of course, Gibson comes along and he molds those two together and gives you this sort of very noirish feel. But at the same time, he's talking about the future. And that that just absolutely blew up in my head. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I, that one is very clear. That is a very clear spot. And I, would, I think, to be honest, I went on batting off that probably more or less until I got published. Yeah. So, I mean... When you when you started writing, like, is that something where when when you begin the process, was it like a, a challenge to where you start writing and you feel it inside, but you you realize that there was a, a lot that you had to do before you reach that next step where you say, okay, this is now ready to take that next step, or did it just come naturally to you? I um. I think I was a bit oblivious as a, as a kid and a, a teenager and, and even as a younger man. And so I kind of, it, uh, 
I don't think it ever occurred to me that maybe, you know, I wasn't good enough. I mean, I look back now and I realize that a lot of the rejections that I got early on in my career were just about that. It was the fact that I just, I just wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, people wrote back to me saying, oh, you know, you clearly have writing talent. Try us with something else. Try us next time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... I never really bought into that. That was the problem. This is why I spent 14 years not getting published, uh, because of a kind of refusal to, um, you know, to accept that or to see it. Uh, but over time, obviously, without actually consciously accepting it, I obviously must have been unconsciously refining my craft, you know, honing the, the, the style, working at it, getting better and better at it. And you sort of evolve over time like that anyway. Uh, so I wasn't conscious at any point of saying to myself, oh, dear, you've got to skill up, you know. Uh, but clearly I did, and, uh, and at some point, you know, I skilled up sufficiently to, to be doing the work. Of course, the other thing is that the zeitgeist changed quite a lot. I mean, when I was submitting back in the late 80s, early 90s, it's a very different time back then. Uh, it was nowhere near as, as dark in terms, you know, entertainment was nowhere near as dark uh, and gritty as it is now. And I think what I was writing in that sense, I mean, this is no apology for the, I mean, I'm sure it was a you know, an issue of, of skill as well. But I think there was also the factor that what no one really wanted to read what I was writing. Uh, I remember getting rejections of people saying things like, yeah, this was a very interesting story. I couldn't, I couldn't identify with any of these obnoxious characters. And yet, that was in a story that later became my novel, Market Forces. And the whole point of that novel is that the characters are obnoxious. So um, I think, yeah, I think part, some of it was zeitgeist as well. Some of it was, you know, the, the the times came around and people suddenly started to, to actually get a taste for this this much darker uh, storytelling. Um, you could see it in TV as well, you know, from the 90s when The Sopranos suddenly took off and that whole HBO thing. There was a realisation that you, you could make drama that was very human where there weren't really any good guys or bad guys. And this, this kind of, this was something, I mean, I was quite fresh. I think people don't remember back before The Sopranos you know, quite how barren the um, the TV landscape was in terms of decent drama, and also quite how squeaky clean stories tended to be, even in, you know, especially in Hollywood. Uh, so that changed, the zeitgeist changed. And at the same time, yeah, I was getting better at what I what I did. And clearly I was taking on influence from all of this as well. I mean, the more you read, the more you the more you learn to write as well. Uh, so I, I, um, I, yeah, I picked up stuff as I was going along. I was reading more and more interesting stuff, more and more widely. Uh, and then, yeah, just, you know, serendipity. The zeitgeist collided with the amount of skill I'd managed to acquire and boom. Yeah, what's interesting is that, especially when you talk to, when, when we talk to like people who have written books, sometimes you hear people who say, oh, I, I write novels, you know, I, I write this specific thing. And then you hear them talk about either television, screenwriting, or you talk, hear them talk about other mediums. And sometimes you have them say things like, oh, no, 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 I only write this. I was just wondering, with your experience, you know, writing for in games like Crisis, uh, Crisis Two, Syndicate, things like that. What was it making that transition? What was it like writing the narrative for something like that, the behind the scenes? Because was it, you know, strange or or transition making that being, you know, a novelist, or was it just simple? Was it like, hey, this is a story. It's the same thing for me. Because some people say, hey, I can't write for these other mediums because I write only for this. This is my mindset. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you, you, you know, working across media does require a reset. You, you can't walk into uh, game writing with the attitude of a novelist. You have, to, you have to switch a little bit, you know. And the same if you're going to do comic book work, the same if you're going to do screenplays. Uh, 
there are a, there's a skill set involved with each, and there are sets of emphasis that, that vary. You know, that, that depend upon depending upon what the, the medium is. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, it's all pretty transferable. It's not hard to learn the terrain. You know, uh, if you you're prepared to, and you, I think what it really comes down to is a certain amount of humility. You've got to be able to step into a new arena and go right. I don't really know much about this, and and then allow yourself to learn. So I think the big the big stumbling block there for for any writer would be um, arrogance, or you know, maybe not even arrogance, maybe not as as bad as arrogance, just just. Um, Stubbornness, custom, you know, the refusal to, I mean, when I started writing for games, I was told, uh, quite a few people who I, I was working with told me that they had problems with writers, very often screenwriters who, who had stepped across because that was perceived as an easy, an easy match, you know, that screenwriting is not so different to game writing, but it actually is in quite a few ways. Uh, and they said that the the problem was that very often these people brought with them the assumptions from the from the work that they normally did, and those assumptions just didn't fit. So I mean, one of the obvious things for gaming is that it the story is actually a kind of underpinning framework to support the gameplay. You know, when you play a game, it's great to have good story. You know, you so take something like The Last of Us. Uh, fantastic storytelling in a game but the point was that what really made that game work was that it meshed very well with the gameplay now it doesn't matter how good your story is if the story gets in the way of your game of the game dynamics then it's not a good story for, for a game and i think a, a lot of the people who came over from screenwriting didn't get that you know for them they thought it was all about the story and obviously if someone came to them from the the gameplay design um, side of it and said oh look we need to change this because it doesn't fit the game dynamic they got very short shrift and they were told, you know, oh, but this is my story. And I, and you had to, obviously, you had to be flexible. I, I was lucky because I, I was a crazy enthusiastic gamer by the time I got invited to work on games. I'd been playing for a while, quite selectively, uh, but I was very enthusiastic about it. So I kind of, I came aboard with an enthusiasm for the work. When someone, when, when Electronic Arts said to me, hey, would you like to help us with some games? I was like, yeah, that'd be fantastic because I like games. And, and so that's part of it as well. I think it's it's problematic if you're coming across into a medium that you, A, don't know anything about, but B, also maybe don't want to know anything about. You know, if someone says to you, your agent says, look, I can get you a big fat paycheck if you're prepared to write for this game, but you don't really play games or know anything about them or even want to know anything about them, clearly that's not going to be a good place to start from. I, I was already big into games when I when I got the call. So for me, it was easy. I, I came across and I was going, yeah, I'd love to do some games because I love games and, you know, I'd love to be be behind a game that, uh, you know, a game that's really fun to play. Um, so, yeah, it's about upskill. It's about unlearning old old modes of work and then, and then being prepared to take on board the new stuff. And that applies right the way across the board. But what I would say to anyone aspiring as a writer now is don't limit yourself. You know, if you're a writer, a storyteller, you can tell stories in, in any medium you like. It just requires a certain amount of, of um, flexibility, if you like. Uh, and it would be a shame to miss out because you only focused on the one thing. You know? Yeah, speaking to aspiring writers, you know, looking over your bio with the things that you've done, traveling the world, being a, a tutor at university, I mean, all the things that you've done, your experience and stuff like that. A lot of times I've heard that uh, with writing, like even uh, for for younger people who have seen things like Californication, you know, uh, David uh, Duchovny's character talks about, you know, you have to have that experience. Writing comes from pain, experience, stuff like that. <laughs> if you're like young and maybe you haven't had that, especially nowadays where you're so attached to your phones or, or computers, do you think that you have to be older, travel the world, see things, or 
maybe you can just have that experience even if you're just seeing things visually from your experiences from home, from what you, you experience with your friends, like what would you tell to those people, uh, you know, younger people that maybe they won't get to see the world that much, maybe just a little vacation here and there? Well, I think um, there are a couple of things to say to that. I mean, the first thing is that, uh, you know, having lots of experience and pouring, pouring it into your writing is no guarantee of success. And conversely, success is no guarantee that you're writing especially well, you know. I mean, you could take something like the Aragorn series. Uh, those were written by a guy in his early teens when he started. He clearly had zero experience of the world. And what he was really doing was transposing his own love of certain stories that he'd already read. But it was massively, massively successful. He tapped into something. He found, you know, a, a common nerve that, that um, millions of people love. And those books did very, very well. So that's the first thing to say that, you know, there's the issue of becoming, you know, a good textured writer. And then there's the issue of becoming a successful writer. Those two things are not necessarily the same. And I say, especially now that YA fiction is so big, I'd say it's, it's eminently possible for a young writer to become very successful without necessarily having gone out and lived a huge amount in the world. I don't think it makes for especially good writing, but you know that who's to say? You know, it, it's uh, ultimately most people want to make a living from their writing, and say so that's certainly possible without having spent ten or fifteen years of you know bashing your head against the sharp corners of the world. Um, then I think the the second thing to say about that really is that um, experience is a funny thing, and uh, you won't necessarily use it directly. You know, I mean, I spent 14 years as an EFL teacher, but I didn't actually write about EFL as a profession. I didn't write about teachers and students, for example. So, you know, the old story of write what you know, uh, that's complete bullshit. Uh, you know, there is no need to do that. Uh, you should write what, what motivates you. You should write what lights your fire, if you like. Write what drives you. Uh, and obviously you lay your hands on what you can to, to make that work. If you've had a lot of experience, if you have lived a lot out in the world and seen a lot of things, well, that's great because you can pour that into your fiction. It will texture it. But if you haven't, I think it's the passion that will carry you rather than the experience. The experience is a useful tool along the way, but it's the passion that will carry you. And the other thing, of course, is that experience in itself is a, is, is, a funny thing because yeah I've done a lot of traveling and I've spent time with people from all sorts of different cultures and places around the world and that's a kind of experience but similarly you know uh, if you grew up in a hard scrabble working-class neighborhood in a uh, an inner city like Detroit or Glasgow say you could easily by the age of 25 have had a lifetime full of very interesting experience right there you know experience doesn't necessarily require you to get on a plane uh, very often starts right outside your front door or, you know, even in your own home. So, uh, and a lot of writers have done very well out of that as well. I mean, look at Jonathan Franzen. I mean, most of what he writes is very close to home. It's it's very much stuff that, that are going on around him in a very normal context. So it depends what kind of thing you're going to write as well. If you want to write, you know, Ian Fleming-esque type adventure stories, it, yeah, then it helps to have done a bit of traveling because you can that will color up your uh, your storytelling. But on the other hand, if you're planning to write a story that is about urban angst, well, if you live in a city, that urban angst is right there for the taking. You know, so all depends. You can't really give really very general meters for something as broad as writing because it's it's such a broad church. It carries so many different. You know, what kind of writing? What genre? Uh, 
for what audience, all these things apply, and they will, you know, those will mean that there are different answers to that issue of experience depending on where you are on the map. When you're creating something like any type of world, but especially when you're going in uh, with a series, so f with a uh, uh, land fit for heroes, when you're creating like just a world with characters so huge, and then you're trying to transfer it to a digital realm and then to the game book, was it like a daunting? task to make such a transition to to bring it down to put it into a context where it would fit in, into that for for people to be able to absorb sorry to, to transfer it into the game book format you're talking about yeah? yes yeah well first of all i mean i a lot of that work was not done by me it was done by the guys at, at uh, narborian and saga scribe uh who you know they, they're the ones who have the skills when they approached me in the first place i did say to them look you are going to have to do the bulk of the writing here because i don't know what this is and i don't have the time to skill up i'm very i've got deadlines and things so they were fine with that and what happened was most of the writing was done by the guys at, at um, Cyberscribe, and I came in and I provided some sort of finishes on certain scenes, especially scenes where my my characters from the novels actually sort of move through the game the game book's uh, space. So I would come in and, and, and do a little bit of writing there, and then we had a lot of consulting to make sure that the continuity fitted. You know that the the world that I'd invented was actually you know, they weren't doing things in the game book that didn't fit in with that world. So it would be a case of no, no, look, you can't have him riding a camel because there aren't any camels in that part of the world. You know things like that. Um, and it wasn't hard. It was in a way it was exhilarating. I mean, it was fun because I, I'd spent you know six years or more, seven or eight years, I suppose, creating the world that these three books took place in. And here had a bunch of guys have come along and said to me, oh, we, can, we would really like to play in your world, can we? Uh, so that was brilliant. I mean, that was, I, I basically just, it was a case of sitting down with them and going, yeah, let's let's play, you know, it's, let's set up the pieces and see what we can do with them. So, yeah, I mean, there was a process there. There was a, you know, a work of sort of trans, transforming, you know, things into into workable tools within the game, game book space. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of space to an ordinary novel, clearly. Uh, but I, I wouldn't wouldn't have said that it was a challenge, especially because it was actually a huge amount of fun. And and that's the thing of like when you do something like this, you you, you can bring people in, uh, you know, to something that may they have, may have not seen. So if people ha have not read the novels, they may come and see the game book, and they're like, oh, this is cool, and then they'll get into it because there's people that you know before like i know like with uh when you mentioned jk rollins there's people that never was like oh i'm not gonna i'm not interested in reading books and then next thing you know they see harry potter and they read harry potter and yes some people did stop there but now they're like hey let me read something else i know some people that read halo and then they're like oh i'm gonna read other things yeah. for people who perhaps maybe have not read your novels and now they play the game book and they're like hey yes this story is different you know it's not uh, directly connected but they say hey I like this world you know did you say to yourself you know guys I want to be able to have something where th they'll want to connect and maybe go uh, go to novels or was this like hey I just want to put this together so it stands alone I, I think is I think what it was nice to have that you know there are some the stories in the game book run parallel to the the narrative that's in the in the trilogy so and there's a tiny bit of crossover in the sense that the characters from the trilogy do crop up they have like sort of uh, cameo roles in the game book um 
and and also what happens in the game book is shown you can see in retrospect that it is having an impact upon what happened in the trilogy so there are links if you like but you don't need to have read the trilogy first i mean the game book makes perfect sense without it uh, i think what was fun for me was the ability to just sort of put in hints to just sort of gesture at something and 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 have tiny little fragments of the of the the novels uh, storyline and characters and context have those those sprinkled on like a kind of seasoning so that someone who's never read the trilogy is not going to at the time get anything specific from that people who have read the trilogy are going to be going through the game book and they're going ah I know what that really means uh, and I kind of like that I like that sort of Easter egg dynamic if you like I mean I find that that very enjoyable um, I'm playing Shadow of Mordor at the, at the moment and it's quite fun seeing the little references back to Lord of the Rings and to The Hobbit and so forth. And, and, and yeah, there's a pleasure to be derived from that, a pleasure to, aha, I recognize that, you know. Uh, so I wanted that, yes, because I think there is that a, a genuine pleasure. One of the pleasures of, you know, any kind of entertainment is, is when you, you get a flash glimpse of something you already know, you know. Um, it's, it's a similar kind of thing to when you're seeing a movie that's set in a historical period, but maybe doesn't deal directly with the historical figures but then you suddenly get a walk on part so you maybe it's a you know it's a movie about um something going on during the civil war period and then abraham lincoln kind of drifts across backstage for a moment and the, you're just like oh, i know who that is you know it's there's a there's a there's a real a genuine pleasure to be derived from that kind of thing and i wanted that in in this i wanted the game books for people to sort of blink and go yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's because that's that guy and you know but I wasn't in, I, it didn't feel I needed to link it, you know, very, very directly back. You know, if people finish the game book and go, God, I'd love to read the stories. Well, obviously that's great. I'd be delighted, you know, and even more delighted if they, they actually, you know, read them and then really love them. Um, but, you know, that's not a, that's not a major concern, if you like. That's, that's the icing on the cake. That wasn't what, what this was about. I think for me, it was just a case of, right, we're using the world. We're using the, the assumptions of the, of the fiction scape I've built. And let's just make this into the, the sort of most dynamic and, and fun uh, experience we can on this platform as a game book. Sometimes when you look, uh, especially when you go deep into people who are really into the holding the physical book, you know, I've talked to people who just, you know, that's all they want. They said, hey, I don't even want to have it on my phone. I don't want to have it on my iPad, iPad or on a Kindle or anything like that. And it's kind of interesting because when I started, you know, writing and practicing, that's all I used. You have some people that say, I'm going to use a typewriter. I, I don't even want to use a computer. So yeah. it's kind of strange when you start to talk to people like that. And I respect all that, even though I could never use a typewriter because, man, with all my typewriters. But I always wondered, like, when, when you talk to people who, you know, have had things published and they've really gone into work, do you think that there can be a disconnect when it, whether you're writing something for a physical book that you hold in your hand when people talk about that curled up with a good book feel or when you transfer it to something on an iPad or even if you have it in a game book, do you think that it's possible that some people have um, a right to say that something is lost? Because I think as gamers, you, and in you writing, uh, you know, narratives for games can see that perhaps, hey, when you play these games, you can get just into it, whether it's a, a game on an iPad mm -hmm. or if it's a game on a PC. Do you think that it doesn't matter? You can still have that same connection whether you're playing on one device or you're holding it in your hands on a book, physical book. Well, I think, I mean, there's, you know, it, I think it would be, it would be 
disingenuous to kind of pretend that there's no difference in because there is clearly what you get out of of, of as you say curling up and read with a good book and just reading a novel immersing yourself in it is very different to the kind of experience that you're going to have playing a game book on a, on a, a tablet or, or an iPhone um, but I have a feeling that, the, that there are some there are some things that are that, that are congruent in both cases. You know, I have a feeling that there are things that are transfer transfer right the way across all forms of fiction. In fact, you know, a game is different than a movie. Is different than a comic book. Is different than a than a game book. Is different than than a novel. Clearly, but I think in all cases, certain people not all not all of the the you know the the public that, that it's aimed at. I think there is a desire for immersion. I mean, people people love to get lost in fiction. They love to get lost in a fiction scape, you know, and that will happen in different ways depending on the, the you know the, the thing that you're doing. So the way you get lost in a book is very different than the way you get lost in a movie, for example. You know, the way you get lost in a movie is very different than the way you get lost in a game, uh, and and so on. So with the game book, you'll you'll have the a bit of the reading experience in the sense that the story is prose driven that you're you're reading a narrative in the same way so yes you lose yourself in the narrative to that extent but then the fact that the you know i mean you know game books are not the old choose your own adventure paperbacks there's so much more involved you know you've got the role based combat every time you're up against some bad guys you you and you actually go to a screen that has that combat on it uh, there's the fact that you've got your backpack of items and you can buy items and so forth. There are elements in it that are very gamey that belong much more to the gaming arena. There, but that doesn't mean they're not fun. You know, I, I think, um, you know, again, if you go to a game book expecting a novel, you're going to be disappointed. Clearly, in the same way that if you if you go to um, you know a film expecting a novel, you're going to be disappointed. You know, uh, however, if you go to it accepting that it's a different medium and it it works in different ways, I think you can still have that immersive experience that experience of stepping into a fiction and kind of forgetting yourself you know uh, again going back to shadow of mordor which i'm you know, obsessively playing at the moment you know it is a game there's no question in terms of the narrative you know if anything the narrative is slightly weak i would say but it, it has it's very powerfully immersive you you immerse yourself in that world and you you do disappear inside it in a very similar way to the way you disappear inside a good novel or, or a good movie but clearly you're playing a game and that is different so i think yeah, I think sure they are different, and and so you can't expect that the 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 way you get your payoff will be the same. It won't. It will be a different experience in that respect. But I think the payoff of, of immersion of dis, of you know sinking into a fiction and, and and losing yourself there. I think that's possible right the way across all all these media. Well, definitely with the Choose Your Own Adventure books, I loved it as a kid just because you had the, that was the first experience that I had where you actually could have a bad ending. Because before that, I was reading books where <laughs> it was all good. And, and, you know, you would read a book where, yeah, you didn't necessarily have like a kid get decapitated, but it'd be like, oh, you were trapped in a ship and you slept and you were drifting into space forever. Uh, with the game book, you know, a, a lot of gamers talk about how, you know, choice was, was important, especially when they talked about like Mass Effect. There was a big controversy mm -hmm. back in the day where you would make a choice, and in the end, they said, "Oh, the choice didn't really matter." How did you how go about making sure that the choices really mattered in the game book, especially when you think about the characters, their backstories, you know, especially some of the horrific things that happened to these characters. So you do care about what happened to them and then their choices. So you want to make sure that their choices really mattered. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, there, there are certainly, you know, in this game book, there, there are choices that will have significant impacts. I mean, one of the things is you can actually choose the sexuality of your, of your characters. 
Uh, you, and I say all, it, it, there's the fact that it's a multiplayer. There's a multiplayer option as well. So you can you can play single player. You can read the entire book, or you can choose to play multiplayer. In which case, you only read the narrative section of one chosen character, and you'll have two friends either close by or somewhere else on the planet who will read the other threads, the other narrative threads, and the three of you will have to make decisions about what you do at each stage. Do we reread this bit or do we just push on? Which choices are, shall we make and so forth? Um, so, the, you know, to that, ex I mean, to that extent alone, it's significant that the choice element is significant. But also, you will be, yes, I mean, you will have very different experiences by, from these choices. Uh, including, you know, if you make a, a significantly bad choice, you can find yourself dead, you know, end of game. You have to go back and start right from, from scratch again, you know, or you you could bookmark it, but I kind of think that's cheating. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's no question that, say, the choices are significant and, and will have real effects upon you. That said, it does have a, a coherent story, and the, sto the story does come to a coherent end. So you, you, you'll arrive at that end, you know, allowing that you haven't, killed yourself off somewhere along the way, you will arrive at, at that same ending. Uh, simply because I think, you know, it's it's in, inevitable if you're going to tell a good story. I, I think within the game community especially, I think there is a bit of schizophrenia about this because there's a sort of the desire for the perfect sandbox, you know, uh, uh, an area in which everything is choice and you can make any choice you like and, uh, you know, uh, totally branching narrative. It just, you know, that is... First of all, at the moment, we don't have the tech to do that. But also, even if that were possible, then that isn't really a story. You know, that's that's not storytelling. That's something else. That's playing in a sandbox. And I think um, where game books are concerned, you have to have a story. Otherwise, the, the issue of it being a, a book, a game book, really evaporates. So, and I think, to be honest with you, I think the best stories that I've seen told in games usually shepherd quite quite strongly they, they, they because they need you to get to certain emotional payoff points in the narrative because if you don't you're going to miss out on what the story is delivering i mean again last of us is is an interesting point it's been given all of these plaudits for doing for telling a fantastic uh, story in game and really engaging you with the characters part of that has been you have to give up your agency to some extent because if you if you if you didn't do that then you wouldn't be able to have these emotional payoffs that the story delivers because half the people who are playing the game wouldn't do it they they'd make a different choice and you wouldn't get that payoff uh, so i think there has to be i think people have to understand especially if they're coming from the gaming side of this that there is there is gameplay in an arena uh, in a sandbox and then there is story and those two things, although you can sort of float them over each other and you can intertwine them, ultimately, if you want to be told a story, if you want there to be a coherent story running through the experience, that has to be shepherded to some extent. Uh, you know, and, and that will certainly be the experience here. You will arrive at an ending, uh, allowing that you manage to avoid the pitfalls, don't get yourself killed along the way, then you will arrive at an ending and that ending is set. You, you will be, you, you, but how you get there and what you do along the way uh, is very significant. Uh, say your relationships with other characters will vary depending on the choices that you make, and they say depending on how you set your character up at the beginning of the experience. Uh, you know, so yeah, choice is important. Choice will definitely have an impact, and choice will will texture your experience if you like. But that said, there is a story to be told, and we, in order to tell that story, we have to have obviously lock down a certain amount of of, of the experience. And I was checking out the art in the trailer, and it looks really awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
No, actually. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, again, that's something that the, guy, the guys at um, Saga Scribe, uh, they, they, you know, they handled that side of things. And basically what they did was they just sent me stuff and said, you know, what do you think about this? And they sent me these ones, and I was looking at them and just going, man, that is awesome. It's really, you know, it's, it's got this lovely grainy feel to it, um, and it sort of it, it stands somewhere between a comic book feel and, a, and a, a, you know, a sort of a realistic texture uh yeah. it's really really nice and then to say i was seeing these things clearly as just you know things being emailed through to me as attachments then later on i got to actually sit down with these guys and, and go through sections of the game on a on a tablet and when you actually see it in situ you see it actually come to life with you know the graphical interface and the the, the all the various bits and pieces of it you know and it's just awesome what they've done i mean this, this kind of you know because the two the two things that i guess have defined this trilogy right from the start my own books you know were, were blood and steel you know those were the two things and and they absolutely nailed that you know the the artwork guys they they i don't know if they read the books but they they absolutely got those two and so you've got this kind of you know blood smeared on metal kind of effect uh and then i say all of the the imagery the artwork images they're slightly blurry around the edges and there's that there's this feel of sort of mess about it uh, and it, it absolutely nails the spirit of the thing. It really does. I gotta say, I think that one of the best things in the world is is like you ask a question, and the best answer is like, "Hey, do you know about this art?" No. <laughs> don't even like that's the best thing I learned. Like, don't don't try and guess. Just no, I don't really. They said to me, it looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I I got one last question because you mentioned you know your 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 love of games and stuff, and I, and I figure if you if you love games, it probably came from McClack Roots, an obsolete gamer, you know, especially in the past, we did a lot of classic gaming stuff. Was there games back in the day that you played, like, what would be considered vintage, classic, retro gaming? Was there, like, games that you really liked back in the day? Well, yeah, but I don't know, you know, retro's a bit of a, a movable thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I didn't start gaming until quite late. I mean, I basically, most of my, my early working life, I was I was a teacher, and I had not very very little disposable income and very little free time. And then when I got published and I got went full time as an author, I suddenly had lots of both. Uh, and I, I started gaming approximately then. So you're talking about uh, late 2002, early 2003. I basically arrived just in. I, I started gaming just in time to play on the old PS1 and the old Nintendo, the big clunky Nintendo. Um, and then I, 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 um, I, I sort of up, teched up to a, a PS2 almost immediately. I mean, I'd only been playing for a few months, and then the, the PS2s came out. Um, so I only go back that far. So I you couldn't talk about the old isometric games or anything like that. But I mean, one game that still I still think it's probably the best game I've ever played, even now. Uh, and it would look pretty. I mean, the, especially the graphics. I think will look pretty shaky these days. It's a game from two thousand four called The Suffering. Uh, I don't know if you ever played that. Did you? No, I didn't play that one. No, that is awesome. You can get it. It's out on. It's on Steam, and and you can find it on the internet in various places. Totally free to play. Uh, it's uh, survival horror, and it's set in a prison that's clearly modelled very, very loosely on Alcatraz. And the and, and it's on an island which is much bigger than Alcatraz Island. I mean, it, it's, it's a significantly large island. And basically, you start the game as a convicted killer who's about who's going going on death row for the murder of his family. And but you you have no memory of of whether you killed your family or not. And then game starts, all sorts of supernatural shit starts kicking off, and. Uh, 
you know, you get out of your prison cell and you have this very simple imperative, get out of the prison and then get off the island. Uh, and what the, what was great about the game, I mean, you know, the monster design was fantastic. The, the, the gameplay design was unbelievably fluid. I mean, people said to me, if you like this one, you should try Resident Evil. I tried Resident Evil, I'm going, but this is clunky, man. The, 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 I'm so hampered, I'm so slow here. Suffering was, you were totally fluid and dynamic the whole time. Uh, and also the great thing was you, again, choices, talking about choices, you, at the end of the game, you get your memory back. Uh, so you retrospectively find out what kind of person you are and, and how you've played the game will affect that. So if you've behaved like a complete shit and, and basically just chop the head off anyone who, who gets in your way and, 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 you know, just not giving a shit about collateral damage to the, to the NPCs, when you get to the end, you find out, yep, sure enough, you're a piece of shit and you did murder your family. Um, if, on the other hand, you've played really nicely, like a gentleman, and you've tried to help people and, you know, carried out side quests that will, will help out the NPCs, then you, um, you get the ending that, no, no, you didn't kill your family, you were framed. Uh, and then the really interesting one was the ending I got first time around, because I, I played to be nice and I wasn't good enough to, to actually manage that. I, 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 people still got hurt on my watch. Uh, you get to the end of the, that, that game, and what you find is, no, you didn't kill your family, but the life choices that you made have pretty much ensured that they would die. And that's the most oh, interesting one. But it's, it's a game that it's got everything in it that a novel has got in the sense that it's got a real sense of, of theme. It's about the, the American prison system. It's about violence. It's about race. It's about the death penalty. It's got all of those things in them. And they're in, they're, they're in to the depth that you would expect to read in a, a good popular novel, let's say a Stephen King novel or something. And the horror is really effective. Uh, there are some really good black comic moments in it. Um, it's, it's an awesome game. And I still haven't played anything that... You know where the the total bundle is quite as as awesome as that. Play games that have much better graphics, of course. I've played games that have other gameplay dynamics that are, that are very impressive. I've played games where um, you know some element or other of the game is 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 way better. Uh, but I've never, still, never come across a game that quite bundled everything up so well. So if you ever get a chance to play The Suffering, really, man, don't don't miss the chance. It is an awesome, awesome game. A Land Fit for Heroes is available now on the Google Play Store for Android devices. It's also available on the Apple, uh, iTunes Apple Store for iPad, iTouch, all the Apple devices, and also for on the Amazon for the Kindle Fire. It's going to be available on Steam for Windows PC later for Christmas, so make sure you guys pick it up. Uh, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Uh, uh, real pleasure. It was awesome. Thanks very much, Jay. Take care. Before we let you go, we went over to Tiger Direct's Tech Bash 2016 at Marlins Park here in Miami. There were a lot of cool things that we got to see. People showing off their computers, laptops, all types of gadgets coming out this year, coming out next year. Things that have already been released. They had computer building contests, a lot of cool stuff. So we put this montage together. Hope you like it. Check it out, and we'll catch you next time on Obsolete Gamer Show.